Happy almost Halloween, everybody. Welcome back to the highway with Kyle Shutt. I am your humble ghost. I'm getting fired for that one. Anyway, we've got a hell of an episode for you this week. Mr. Martin Atkins from Pigface, Public Image Limited, Killing Joke. Uh, The list goes on and on. This man is responsible for more music than just about anybody else I know. So it it was a real pleasure to have him on. And uh, we're going to get to the bottom of things, just like we do every week. As always, if you like what you've been hearing, be sure not to miss a single episode by hitting that follow button, smashing that subscribe tab. You do what you got to do not to miss a single episode. And if you want to go one step further, you can find us at patreon.com slash the highway. For a few scant bucks a month, you can get yourself a shout out on the program like Black Royal Tony. You can help keep some beer in my fridge like Matt Mosley. Thank you, Moz. He's down for the cause. And uh, we also got to thank my mentor, <laughs> who shall remain nameless. How spooky is that? We also got to give our sponsors some mad love, Heil Sound. Because if you like the way I sound, it's because there's a Heil in front of me. I'm so getting fired for this. Yeah, who's going to fire me? Me? Let's do things my way. The Highway. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, no problem. Everybody, welcome Martin Atkins, the busiest man in rock and roll. Um, I mean, <laughs> between every every one of your projects, I could, I could spend 45 minutes listing them all, but um, he's been in Killing Joke, uh, you know, uh, uh, Brian Brain, Public Image Limited, it just it, it goes on and on, and uh, Nine Inch Nails, uh, just, uh, and uh, it all culminated with uh, probably the biggest super group uh, ever, uh, Pig Face, which maybe... I don't know. I think like maybe Parliament Funkadelic might be the only other group with as many members uh, over the years. <laughs> but uh, yeah, yeah, that's, that's a good a, that's a good question. Yeah, such a pleasure to have you on. Um, yeah, I just wanted Thank to you. talk to you about um, just how you came to to be where you are and uh, what what made you want to make uh, such righteous noise uh, when you were growing up. Oh my God. Um, uh, well, I mean. I started playing drums because my dad bought me a drum kit. Like it wasn't like uh, any mysterious voodoo or an affinity between me and rhythms or drums or whatever. My dad bought me a drum kit. So I, I played drums. My dad was kind of an absent dad. So anything that he did carried this like additional weight. Mm-hmm. You know, it wasn't like, not that anybody would casually buy anybody a drum kit, but... Um, <laughs> it's almost like a fuck was, you gift, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I played drums for like four hours a night. And then it's it's really strange because, um, you know, the, the other side of my dad, my dad was a musician, but the other, you know, the, the, he became... Um, a manager of a textile factory and then a general manager and then a director of this company responsible for 3000 people. And certainly part of me, part of my organization, well, not like I'm an organizational person, but um, my ability to put these things like pig face together, um, I think comes from him more so than my drumming stuff. If, if that makes any sense. Absolutely. And then, so, so then you throw in, you throw in some of the bands I've been in and the situations that have happened, like just being on stage with Johnny Rotten in 1979, 80, 80, 82, 83, 84, 85. I mean, John was different then. Like not as a person, although I'm sure he was, but as a person in the world. You know, people would, you know, fall off the pavement when we would walk by. You know, I I watched thousands of people in audiences just hypnotized by him on stage. Um, So after you've done that, after you've been, after you've had riot police on horseback, helicopters, uh, German shepherds on stage to keep an audience back. After you've been in situations like that, it's kind of like 
the next thing becomes more dangerous and crazier built upon that if that makes sense wow uh, yeah i can only imagine that that's wild it's pretty tame these days uh <laughs> compared to yeah. that that's insane well um, what was it like because uh, I've, I've come from the uh the era of recording technology where we have a lot of options we can either record to tape for the novelty of it or uh go full digital and um you know programming drums and things like that it's seemingly to a person like me seems much easier than it used to be what was it like programming drum beats strictly to tape back then i, I always um whenever i listen to bands like oingo boingo or ministry even old nine inch nail stuff just thinking about how difficult it must have been to program all those drum machines to tape you know i, I don't know what, what do you think about that well i didn't do that i beat the shit out of my drums i don't program sometimes you know i would loop um, I would loop stuff up on, on a few different projects, maybe damage manual, some different stuff like that. But I just play, I just play to a click and nail it. And, and you don't record to tape for the novelty of it. You record to tape for the sound because even a cassette tape. Now, if you listen to a cassette tape that was well recorded, you know, so it's like the level is high. It isn't all hiss. Mm-hmm. And it's like, there's some mysterious, there's this mysterious thing that um, digital just doesn't do. And it's like, I don't want to sound like one of those old recording guys because I'm an old recording guy. But um, but it's like, oh my goodness, you know, there's a sound of tape that's that's kind of crazy. There absolutely is. Uh, I didn't, uh, maybe the, the word novelty was uh, the wrong choice of word. I just meant that um, sometimes you have to have a certain budget to record to tape. It can get very expensive. And, um, you know, unless you have the the know-how and everything going into a project like that, uh, you can easily eat up your budget. Um, but oh, there is yeah, yeah, yeah. absolute warmth and um, kind of just, it makes the recording almost tangible to me. I, I love recording to tape uh, as much as we can, but uh, sometimes out of necessity, uh, we do have to go digital. Right. I, I did, um, you know, so I, of course I was at, uh, you know, I, I spent my life in studios with, with all of those bands you mentioned. And, um, <clears throat> you know, as soon as digital came out, there was something called Sound Designer 2 that was, I don't know, I'm sure there was a one, but I didn't see it. But um, but uh, where you could load in music and, and chop mix number one to the end of mix number two and use the same chorus twice. And I was, it was just unbelievable. And, but this, there was like five years where I didn't hear drums off of tape because I was fascinated with digital and mm-hmm. then four track digital and then pro tools and logic and all this different stuff, you know? And, um, and then I put an old, uh, half-inch eight-track tape. I, I bought Steve Albini's machines, I don't know, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. And um, just to listen to this loop, just to listen to this groove, and I cried because for like five years I'd been trying to engineer and find um, um, and reinforce this sound that was in my head that was actually drums to tape. Huh. Um, and... Uh, yeah, it was kind of crazy. And then it wasn't like it changed anything. I still carried on working digitally because it's so convenient. But I just remember that moment. That's beautiful. Yeah, it, it is very convenient. And uh, it, it also kind of lowers the bar a little bit just because now everybody can record stuff. But um, it, it, capturing uh, sounds like that in samples and creating them is, is something that I uh, really love doing whenever you're creating a song do you do you find yourself hearing that noise in your head and then just setting about finding it or are you kind of to the point now where you pretty much know how to make that sound and then you concentrate more on things like actual arrangement and um, melody and things like that no it's it's much more like um uh here are here are these traditional chinese orchestra instruments and players what happens socially and musically when we crash them together with some street gang members <laughs> or, 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 or a scratch DJ or some rappers or, or, or whatever. It, it's much more like that. What happens when I invite a cellist 
and a harp player to come on stage with Pigface, you know, which then leads to what happens when you invite Galen Lee uh, on stage with Pigface. What happens when you expose an audience waiting to see Ogre and Trent and Industrial with a capital I mm -hmm. and and the, the, the curtain opens and it's five people playing bagpipes. I mean, it's for me, it's that that's my jam now. You know, I don't have songs in my head and go about make go about realizing that song. I more have ideas in my head about like, huh. It would be really interesting to pick this wrong person for this thing and see what happens, you know, which goes back to your point about programming drums. You know, I was around when the first drum machines came out and they were terrible, yeah. you know, but, and, and now you can, you can get all of the nuance. You can get the breath, all the amazing sounds of, of, drummers alive and dead you know um but the one thing anybody that isn't a drummer or or maybe just a specific person cannot get is the that brain mm -hmm. you know so you can you can you know program john bonham's drums with a sound pack from something or or keith moon's this or 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 whoever's beat but you can never sit down in a room and do the complete opposite of what you thought, you know, which is, which is what, this is the only reason I think to hire a drummer these days is, is because you can imagine a straight beat, a kind of a weird beat, mm -hmm. but you probably can't imagine whatever the fuck I'm going to do. That's a very good point. Yeah. And, um, I, I, I do enjoy letting other people, artists and drummers, especially I consider myself a guitar player, even though I can play, drums or keyboards or whatever like that but it's a it's that that brain that certain brain like whenever you bring in a drummer that's that's what they do they play the drums they're always going to come up with something that you would have never thought of and i love uh giving them the freedom to do that and just um letting the song grow that way right and it's it's like i mean i i don't know that i want to go off on a drums analog tape you know hour-long nightmare but you know just <laughs> just there's just some subtle not give a fuck stuff that I'll do sometimes where I'll just like pull a beat back, mm -hmm. you know, well, like where, whereas an amateur and I don't mean an amateur in a bad way. Cause I don't know that I'm professional, but, <laughs> but, but where, where a, a, a less experienced person might be enthusiastically an adrenalized beat that really pushes things along. Mm -hmm. But sometimes if you pull something back, it's more powerful because it's you're you're pulling on the reins of the beat, you're holding it back, mm -hmm. which implies more danger if you were ever to let the reins go. You know, I, I don't know. I'm not really sure what I'm talking about, but No, no, that makes perfect sense. Uh, uh playing behind the beat is it's a very intricate art that it, when when done properly it just creates this chaos that is pretty imperceptible to most people that wouldn't think about actual arrangement or or, or just aren't musically inclined but yeah I, I know exactly what you mean but um speaking of of danger um i mean you're known for you know playing with nine snails ministry some of the scariest bands uh that ever put on a live show um i, I never got the, the pleasure to see those bands in their heyday but was it really as dangerous as a, as the stories um, you know make it out to be? Because uh, Al Jorgensen's book uh, that uh, he just recently wrote really it's 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 fascinating to me to read some of those stories. Um. Well, yeah, but I mean, to me, Ministry, the tour I did with Ministry was 1990. Mm -hmm. So I mean, that's 10 years after. I got on a plane and went to France with Public Image Limited and 10 members of our touring party were taken off the plane by Scotland Yard plainclothes and and uh, 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 not plainclothes policemen, you know? Mm -hmm. And I mean, uh, I used to travel, 80, 81, 82, I used to travel with prescription speed. And I don't mean 
speed that was so strong you need a prescription i actually had a prescription so i could try i mean so you know so i'm popping speed pills in front of a cop at jfk airport just waiting just like hey, come on motherfucker you know put you know like not realizing i could have just been like shot and put down the put down the luggage chute you know that didn't occur to me till like last week you know but um but you know everything was was more dangerous in the 80s mm-hmm. you know we stayed at the Iroquois hotel which now is like a fantastic monte carlo looking resort um where you expect duran duran to come mm-hmm. dancing down the front steps when i lived there for six months it's just off Times square and you might think oh Times square it's like disneyland it wasn't in 1980 you'd expecting to have a get shot in the back of the head buying a slice of pizza mm-hmm. so so some of the things that we look at now, I, I think one of the things I spend a lot of time doing is providing context, you know? So, you know, I tell my students, well, the Sex Pistols said fuck on on television news. And it's in today's context, it's like, yeah, okay. Tom Hanks said fuck on ABC's morning news show. Nothing happened. When John said fuck, on, on the TV in 1976, the country came to a standstill yeah. and members of the pistols were stabbed on the train. People were outraged, <laughs> you know, so uh, they couldn't play a concert anywhere in the country. I mean, so, so, I mean, all of the, so, so yeah, you know, um, I didn't play live with Nine Inch Nails. I'm just on the the Wish track, something else on Broken, and in, in the Head Like a Hole video. Right. But if you look at that Head Like a Hole video, you know the danger I saw in that video was me. Like, uh, I just got bought. We did so many takes. I ended up throwing my drums across the set, getting in a cab and going home. <laughs> Which, which, you know, it's like, well, why would you do that? How unprofessional. It's like, yeah, but by that point, I'd been playing drums for 20 years and it was 12 years after PIL and one year after ministry and just, you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of uh, Head Like a Hole and Pretty Hate Machine, today is uh, the anniversary of its release. Uh, October 20th, 1989 is when it came out. So uh, however many years ago that is. I'm old. Oh, really? But uh, yeah, yeah. That was a, a great video. Um and I just I wanted to ask you about that because um, Nine Inch Nails weren't necessarily like a two drummer band. What was the decision behind having two drummers in the video? Was it just for the aesthetic? Oh God! I mean, uh, they were staying at my house, and so maybe I mean maybe it was just Trent thought it would be rude not to ask me. Well, I, I mean, you know, we just I mean, you know, ma- many of these things that you could write a chapter in a book about supposing this and supposing that. Mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I don't know. I mean, um, like there's a nine inch nails drum case at the museum. And I'm like, how, how did I get that? You know, and, you know, people walk in and go, Ooh, you know, it's like, yeah, no, I think when I threw my drums at themselves to destroy the end of mm-hmm. the video, I think they pack, I just left my kit. You know, like I didn't care. And I guess when they packed up all the drums, maybe Trent has a Martin Atkins Killing Joke Ministry drum case sitting in a room going, what the hell am I doing with this drum case? You know? <laughs> and uh, I, I definitely wanted to uh, talk about your museum. Um, it's uh, I'm so sorry. I'm, I forget the name of it right now, but you've made a, a post-punk and uh, industrial museum basically out of all your uh, memorabilia over the years and uh, it's kind of like a little uh, mini rock and roll hall of fame uh you, how did that come about was it um just we wanted to empty your garage of all your uh, insane memorabilia over the years or? <laughs> well well so so i i i'm taking pains to to let people know it's not the museum of martin atkins i mean that how sad would that be welcome to the museum of me you know like um but because of a few reasons one i'm fucking old i'm old as fuck right i'm 62 and i started when i was young i joined pil when i was 19 maybe just 20 so i've been doing this for a long time and for some reason um i would always kind of keep things 
like like a serial killer, right? <laughs> um, uh, so I, I've got a, 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 a paper cup from the BBC when we did the John Peel session in 1979. I've got this tiny ticket from the Paris Metro when me and Wobble were coked out of our heads riding round and around on the Paris Metro in between the two shows we did. And then just the sign from the dressing room door for PIL on bandstand, my check stub from Dick Clark Productions, cool. my diaries, you know, but so, so there's a lot, right? But then you add in the fact that I, I managed Kill and Joke, you know, mm -hmm. I managed Pig Face, right? So you just end up with all the tour books, the receipts, the this, the that, like, um, and because I was in the studio, I would always end up with, uh, I'd ask a singer to write the lyrics out for every song that I worked on. So that was an opportunity for me to kind of go, are you sure about this shitty second verse, dude? You know, but also I could say, hey, um, uh, uh, go in before these lyrics. So we use the lyrics as a map to the song. Mm -hmm. So I've got Trent handwritten lyrics to suck. I've got Ogre's lyrics for the process and for the album we did Ritalin. I've got so many Chris Connolly, hand-typed, handwritten, just like, just ridiculous, right? So, um, and then I was just looking, today is the anniversary of the death of, of my good friend, Paul Raven, who played bass in Killing Joke and Pigface. And so, you know, for every day on the road with Killing Joke, I've got, sheets of paper with everybody's names typed and then everybody's signatures signing for their buyout for their per diem or meal money, you know? So that's kind of like an unfair advantage, right? you know, there. Then I released 350 albums with Invisible Records and we released Thrill Kill Cult, Swans. We did shirts for Chris and Cozy for some reason. So I not only have the shirt, but I have the original art on tracing paper. God. You know, uh, so, um, you know, Genesis P. Orridge, Psychic TV, so much, Sheep on Drugs, so much stuff. And so so it's not the museum of me, mm -hmm. but what, I, what I'm doing with it is using it as a starting point. So it's like, look, I mean, if I threw everything, well, I've already thrown a bunch of stuff on the walls and I'm going through, uh, I'm going through boxes it could already be just a pretty decent museum, but by allowing other people to get involved in the 60 so far amazing people on the advisory board uh, and almost 500 people who are helping to found the museum, but people are starting to send us things like a huge subway poster from a KMFDM release called Money. That's incredible. Um, a huge subway poster for the revolting Cox, um, a, 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 a hospital gown from Bellevue Hospital in New York that, that Johnny Rotten wore on stage, um, a raincoat that this girl made in 1980 that she's in a photograph with John wearing this raincoat. Amazing photographs and track sheets and, and uh, VHS tapes and recordings. And um, uh, somebody sent me a flyer from the show. Uh, Trent Reznor only did two shows with Pigface, New York City and Pittsburgh. And she sent me a flyer signed by everybody. God. Bill Rieflin, but yeah, Bill Rieflin, Paul Raven and William Tucker, who are no longer with us. Trent, uh, just like everybody. And um, so, um, and then people send me stuff. Um, this guy, Brad, sent me a suit that Ogre wore on stage with Skinny Puppy in 2015 and it's signed and covered in paint and blood and god knows what else and the, and then so because it was in his closet and so i sent him a photograph i'm like look we put it in front of the backdrop from the fook tour in 92 which tim gore who did all the latex work with skinny puppy he worked on that with us ogre sang in front of this backdrop and then somebody gave me these skinny puppy posters and blah 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 so i'm sending him a picture of his baby you know, his his pet ogre suit in in the situation that we exhibited in. And then he flew out to visit it, you know. So he people are just starting to understand that that 
there are cool things in in a drawer or in a closet or whatever, but it's kind of really way cooler to put this stuff with a bunch of other stuff, and and it 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 carries a different kind of a weight when it's all together, you know. It does. Um, that is just beautiful. Uh, I. I... I hope it continues to grow and grow because that is just, that's already a, a treasure trove right there. I'm sure once word catches, you're going to get all kinds of stuff. It's going to be Christmas every day. Well, I, I got five packages yesterday. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, just like, are you, are you kidding me? You know, I mean, um, yeah, it, it's really, uh, but at the same time, it's a lot. It's a lot mm-hmm. like, just, you know, of course, tracking who's sending us what so we can honor those people and respect them. Um, but to also think about what should go where. Um, you know, I nearly didn't, I didn't nearly didn't put my drum kit up because I'm like, well, how boring for me. It's my drums, you know. Mm. Oh, the last thing I need to see on a daily is my bloody <laughs> drum kit. But, but it's a drum kit from Head Like a Whole, Ministry, Killing Joke, pig face damage manual everything so uh, so i just give people drumsticks say there you go have a a go and uh, people really like that wow you know which makes it um as as cool as a museum as it is becoming it's also i think my job to make it the anti-museum like go ahead hit that thing you know Mm -hmm. we did pop-up haircuts we did a whiskey pancake brunch (laughs) um i mean we just we let people come in and go downstairs to the studio and mix Trent Reznor singing Suck with Pigface and leave with a cassette. You know, I mean, we're doing some non-museum things because that's what post-punk and industrial should be doing with a museum. I love that idea. That is so cool. What, um, what? speaking of it just being your job as well, um, after playing in so many bands, putting out so many records and everything, what was it that led you down the road of academia and uh, beginning to teach and uh, uh, sort of uh, attack it from the other angle? Usually uh, we get into music to run away, uh, as far away from school as we can. Uh, But uh, yeah, what brought you back? Well, you know, I left school when I was 16. So um, the easy answer, I think the important answer is completely by accident. You know, one thing I say to my students all the time is like, look, go ahead and make a plan, but I can guarantee you there is no straight line from A to B, mm-hmm. you know, and whatever. And, and the more the more you fix this in your mind of what the path is, the less likely you are to recognize another opportunity, which might be the way for you to accomplish your goals by a different route. Exactly. You know, so um, so we we were. I was booking all of these crazy tours, not just pig face, right. With revolving lineup, like Danny Carey's coming out for 10 days in 94. Then somebody else will do this and, you know, just craziness. Mm-hmm. But we'd also have four opening acts and we take out this two bus package, you know, and then we do probably 80 to a hundred thousand promotional postcards. But eight to 10 different designs with different partners, you know, you know, from a marketing point of view with different mailing lists and and fan bases. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we do 20 to 30,000 promotional CDs. You know, I'm going back 20 years and um, we'd work with Jägermeister. And I'm like, I heard about this idea of interns. I'm like, interns, what's this? It's like, well, college students who will come and help, in exchange for kind of learning about the business mm-hmm. and college credit. I'm like, oh, my God. So I drove up to Columbia College, Chicago. It's like five miles up the street from me. And um, I did a presentation to the faculty about these tours that we were doing and all the partners and, uh, you know, all the street teams and all the stuff that was kind of ahead of its time back then. Mm-hmm. And somebody said to me, uh, when can you start? And I said, I can I can put interns in my car now. We need help. And they're like, No, when could you start teaching? <laughs> and I and I said to them, Teaching what? And they're like, This? You're killing it. And I was like, and, you know, I I had two kids back then. I got four now. And and that it just made me pause. Like, well, what would I 
what would I advise my kids to do? What about their future? And, and I thought the craziest thing I could do is say yes. Mm -hmm. And I thought that was the opportunity. And it wasn't. I walk into the first class, which was only a week later, and um, and they're using a book written in 1962 called Theatre and Touring the Theatre. I'm like, we can't use this book, you know, and there really wasn't one. So I started to write Tour Smart, which was my first book. And because I'm a punk, a post-punk fucker, I, I released it myself. It became an Amazon music business bestseller. And I'm like, oh, maybe that's, wow, here's this other opportunity. Turns out that wasn't the opportunity either, although it was. Uh, it, I, then I start several years of, of keynote speaking, public speaking, which is like the furthest thing from anything I would ever said I wanted to do. Mm -hmm. But I applied all of my kind of, how can I fuck this up uh, <laughs> mentality to public speaking and, you know, ended up in going to Norway five times, South America, Medellin, Santiago, Chile, like Australia, like more uh, Japan, more places than I've been drumming. And I've been a lot of places drumming. So, so the answer is I started teaching by accident. And then of course, as I started to teach, I realized what a great way to learn it is to teach. Mm -hmm. So I got better at my crazy stuff. I started to recognize templates and patterns and risk and mitigating risk. And um, also then celebrating the craziness of pig face and the things that we do. And um, uh, went back to school, got my associates in audio, my bachelor's in entertainment media business and my master's in creative media. And um, so now I, I think I'm close to 20 years teaching. Um, but what I've been doing for the last maybe eight years is instead of like going to teach and like, okay, class, where were we? Blah, blah, blah. Now I'm like, all right, class, I've got, I've got this tour to do. Want to come on a tour? Or um, we're doing two shows at House of Blues in Chicago. Want to run the merch and be involved <laughs> in production? You know, who wants to run the VIP, you know? And um, we actually took students on the last pig face tour in 2019. We had a second bus and uh, we had mentors on the bus. Wendy Day, who was credited with signing, getting Eminem his deal. Um, uh, she has something called Rap Coalition. She came on the bus as a mentor. You know, I mean, people would just piss their pants to to spend a few days on a bus with Wendy, yeah. you know, like, um, so I think I've taken that being on stage with riot police and helicopters and German shepherds. I'm taking, I'm trying to take my ability to deal with that chaos and apply it to the classroom. That's crazy. I mean, all, all, all just because you said yes. I mean, you could have said no and just walked away from it all. And, yeah, uh, well, I, 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 and, I, and I, I try and tell my students that as well. I always say yes to everything. Everything. Because you, you don't know. You're, you're saying no to something, what you think is in your head, mm -hmm. but you don't even know, you know. And, and if I don't know, and I'm 62 and I've done a lot, you sure as fuck don't. And if you it know. sucks, you can always walk away, but you'll never know unless you just keep saying yes and keep putting one foot in front of the other. I, I always say yes to yeah. everything and just figure it out later. <laughs> right. And there's kind of a little, I'm, I'm sensing a spell of not so much of that. So I'm, I'm you know, I changed, um, I teach down at Millican University. It's like two hours south of Chicago. Mm -hmm. And uh, I changed the internship requirement from one to three and I might change it to five at some point because, you know, if you only have to do one internship, people, people always find an internship with their uncle or some bullshit mm -hmm. thing. But when you require three, they kind of almost have to take one out of desperation. Mm -hmm. And, and it might be that one of like, Oh God, here I am working on a, I don't know, cleaning up audio files for the police forensic digital lawyer, and I 
love it. It's amazing. Right. I never would have thought, you know, and they spend the rest of their lives loving this thing that they never thought of, mm-hmm. you know, because and not to mention the fact that there are jobs coming down the pipeline that we don't even know what they are yet. Mm-hmm. You know, so, so, so yeah, always say yes to everything. Always say yes to everything. And uh, I always say, always meet your heroes. I always thought that uh, never meet your heroes was uh, selling people short. And uh, I've definitely met many, many of mine and uh, have had many positive experiences and a few negative ones, but mostly on the whole positive. Um, were there any of your just absolute heroes <laughs> that you were just so excited to meet that you got to? Um, well, <clears throat> um, I got to play with a bunch of people. I mean, you know, I would have to, so speaking as a drummer and thinking about drummers and bass players today, as I, as I said, with the, the, the anniversary of the death of Paul Raven, um, playing with Flea was kind of insane. Really? <laughs> you know, um, um, and that's before Flea was Flea. He mm-hmm. auditioned for PIL wow. in '83. I had no idea. You know, and and uh, and it, that was just complete madness. Um, and then he, he actually didn't want to join PIL. He just wanted to jam with me, which was quite flattering. But then I <laughs> wanted to punch him because it's like, how am I supposed to listen to this next good bass player from Canada? You know, after just having you go nuts, <laughs> you know, jamming with me. Um, so, so, so yeah, Flea, uh, Genesis P Orridge mm-hmm. was amazing. Walked on stage with six cassette machines. Wow. Never having rehearsed with Pigface. And they just transformed the show, just fearlessly transformed the show. Whereas, Whereas I've worked with some people who are like, well, how does this song go? And I'll say, well, I don't know how it goes with you. You know, I know how it went with this other person, you know, which is really unhelpful of me to say that, you know, um, just adding to the stress. But um, um, there have been some people who have absolutely changed uh, what I thought was possible in a situation. So those are a couple of people that spring to mind. That's beautiful. I, uh, I love that the, the song changes no matter who's on stage or, or anything like that. It's it's a lot more freeform than I thought it was. Yeah, it's like a jam band, really. Mm-hmm. And But a jam band with no rules. And, and you, you might say, you know, I think we said in the beginning, we don't care, right? Because PIL, we never rehearsed, right? So it was just whatever was happening on stage. I don't think I was explained to anybody. <laughs> um, but but so my to, my tolerance for stress and risk is fairly high. Um, but, um, so we would say we don't care and we didn't rehearse for the first tour and, but we got a lot better by the end. Mm-hmm. And we even had a, a, a song in the set list called riff du jour, you know, and it was just, something's going to happen here, but yeah. we don't know what it is, yet, you know? <laughs> and, um, that's amazing. So, so, um, you, you just try and kind of plan for these things. And now, you know, we rehearse now for the, for the, on the technology side and the loops and the samples and, and all that stuff, and just to make sure everybody's in shape, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but um, uh, yeah, it's, it's a jam band and people, you know, I think Andrew Weiss from Rollins and Ween um, came to the New York show mm-hmm. and it's like, okay, Andrew's here. And somebody said to me, well, he hasn't been to rehearsals. I'm like, oh, I don't give a fuck, you know. And they're like, and and then, and then somebody pointedly said, "What song in the singular is he going to play on?" I'm like, oh, all of them, you know. Like, and and uh, um, strange that um, uh, three bass players on stage mm-hmm. that they didn't tread on each other's parts. Uh, uh, in an EQ sense, on a frequency sense, in a part sense, or in a physical sense. They didn't tread on each other, which is a good thing because Andrew doesn't wear shoes on stage. <laughs> and, um, and and it was just kind of miraculous, really, you know, that Andrew found his way. Uh, maybe that's, that's a thing that happens with pig face. It's like, here's this crazy thing. You can absolutely do anything you want, 
which causes people to kind of listen mm-hmm. and not and be very careful to honor that spirit and do some crazy stuff, but at the same time, not be one of those assholes. I don't think we've ever had an asshole on stage trying to, you know, do a solo or me, 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 the whole thing, you know? That's saying something considering the uh, sheer amount of people that have been in that band over the years. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's incredible. Kind of kind of crazy, really. I yeah. know, right? Yeah, Martin, thanks so much for sitting down and talking with us. I, I really appreciate your point of view, and I sincerely respect everything that you contributed uh, to the world of music because it is staggering when you take a step back and look at it. Um, it's uh, it's a real honor to talk to you. And um, I always uh, ask my musical guests at the end of the program if there's any song that they'd like to play. I know the uh, I know that you did a live record from the, the Pig Face tour, uh, back in 2019, um, if you want to play something off of that, or, or anything at all that you'd like. It doesn't even have to be anything that you're involved in. Well, well, okay. Um, there is a song. Actually, I was thinking about this. One of the coolest. I mean, we've, been, we've been talking about Pigface not as a musical entity, but a social community mm-hmm. vehicle, right? right? And so um, the Chicago date of, of that last tour in 2019 we did a version of Hips, Tips, Lips, Power. And we were joined on stage by Jay Lamar, Cam, Just Chris, and Day. Um, three guys and a girl, all rappers from um, uh, the Haven studio on the south side of Chicago. They're mentored by a guy called Ad2, uh, Andre, who has a fantastic album called Jim Crow, the musical. And... Um, uh, they just they'd never they'd never performed with Pigface before. Um, I've known Ad for a while, and he said you should go to this thing. <laughs> <laughs> so there's there's like 1,100 people in the in the theater, um, and there's I don't know six or seven drum kits on stage. There must have been 60 people on stage, and um, um, they just came and just threw down. So, so if you wanted to play Hips, Tits, Lips, Power uh, from that album, that would be great. It's, it's um, everybody in the band had said to me at some point during the tour, perhaps we could back off a little bit on random people coming on stage <laughs> because because pig face is important and and people were kind of working out guitar parts working out bass parts or working on harmonies you know god bless them mm-hmm. you know and i understood it but i'm like yeah i take your point no <laughs> and so <laughs> um so so when four kids that we'd never met before i mean i met them for like 10 minutes before come on stage to throw something down it was definitely a like now what are you doing martin you know but honestly it was i think everybody's favorite seven minutes on stage with pig face ever yeah it was really great that's incredible we're totally going to play it and uh like i said thank you again it's a real honor to have you on the program i sincerely appreciate you Thank you. Uh, I appreciate that. And send me a link and I'll bounce it around. Yes, sir. All right. Thanks again. Cool. Thanks a lot. All right. Bye. Bye. Truly deserves to be on every British We got some guests coming in on this tune. Martin, would you like to introduce the guests, please? Here's some students from the Haven 47 at King Drive. Get your hands up, get them hands up, get them hands up, yo, 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 yo. Check the mic like one, two. It's been something similar to the sun. Like I step up in the booth and try faces with Scorpion. But it's just a take one, but this ain't a Drake one. Your head's up in the clouds, it's feeling like your face one. Not even puffing the louder, you can't even say nothing. You see it now with a smile, that's feeling like I'm a bride and to make a pretty mini. I'm really getting the crowd hype. Stepping on stage, all I need is one mic to bring us all together. Whether you like a white, it's one love. Then reach all the people, let you step and make the soul. Let them swing it through your fingers, drop a feeder. This one, we about to raise the volume to it with all eight. To a different altitude, uh, it gets colder, a little bolder. But I just gotta do it, test, test. Just keep it, just keep it. 
Tuning into the highway this week. A big shout out to Reverend Guitars, Railhammer Pickups, and Earthquaker Devices. If you liked what you heard, you can follow where you can follow, subscribe where you can subscribe, and if you want to go one step further, you can support us on Patreon at the Highway with Kyle Shutt. For a few bucks a month, you can help us keep this party going, get early access to next week's episode, and even get yourself a shout out. 